got to do that. You want me to do the intro? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to just hear you heavily breathing for a while. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, the podcast where we discuss what we feel like discussing about the Elixir programming language and ecosystem. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I am here with a British person. Hello, Desmond Bowie. Hello, British person. So we've moved on from questions to general comments to whatever we want to talk about. It's a real evolution. Secretly, it's always been whatever we want to talk about. That's true. Yeah, that is really true. We had questions a while back in the beginning, but we haven't haven't seen any lately. No, that's right. Um, and we are our own people, so we will do what we want. The... <laughs> yeah, it's our podcast. Maybe there are no questions. <laughs> There are only opinions from us. <laughs> that is all. Um, how, how, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I've been writing some code lately. You've been writing some code? I know, yeah. It's come back to me. Yeah? You, you, is it like riding a bike you never forget? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. And I'm not doing anything too heavy. But yeah, it came back to me. You got your 1950s keyboard out, you started typing everyone, and it's like, what the hell is that noise, you know? Chris was referring to uh, my IBM Model M keyboard with the uh, very loud clicky keys. And he also wears these, like, kind of 1950s glasses, and sometimes I think he looks like a throwback from the past when he's programming, so <laughs> it's very good. It's all about cred in this industry. It is indeed. But no, I haven't been using my keyboard. I've just been typing away on my laptop. That's cool. I've uh, I've also been programming oh. in Elixir. Cool. Yeah. Isn't that weird that we've both been doing it? Did it come back to you right away or was there a ramping um, up? So I've been doing Advent of Code, which isn't actually a real world problem by any means because they're all about elves and Christmas and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, uh, it, I guess it did take me a while. To, to get to remember exactly how to solve problems what was uh, tricky about it about remembering like what or was about, rusty um, I think just my like thinking through problems and, and reaching for the standard lib and knowing what to reach for you know like you know when you're like oh I know I can use this enum function that I know all about and I know exactly how it works I was like having to go back to the docs and remember like what argument uh, reduce the callback gets like uh, executed in, you know? So that doesn't make sense. The reduce function, what way around the accumulator and the, the value are. Yeah. Just like dumb stuff like that. Yeah, you know what's confusing about it? It's because in JavaScript, it's the other way around. And I was like, what? So, and then I, I couldn't, I just like, I honestly just forgot the enum library. So, but now I feel much better because if there's something that advent of code is good for, it's going through the enum library. <laughs> I feel like most things are good for that. It's pretty hard to write an Elixir program without touching enum. Yeah, it's true. And streams, streaming all the things. So I don't use stream that much. You don't? I don't think I've ever feel- used stream. Whoa. Am I living in a small world here? Yeah, you know, you know about the benefits of stream. <laughs> well, my data sets just haven't been that large. Uh, I reduced yeah, I- them. Honestly, it's like to be honest with the advent of code, it's like a complete over optimization at times. Except mm-hmm. for the fact that you can like be like, I'm the cool guy where my my exercise ran in like point one second instead of one second. You know, so 
It's funny, like, a few minutes ago, you were giving me a hard time for having old-school glasses and a keyboard, and now you're, like, optimizing your uh, run times by 0.1 seconds. Yeah, it's it's honestly not really worth it. I, especially with Advent of Code, you should just, like, aim to finish as quickly as possible and move on with your life, you know? Well, having but, a sweet keyboard is definitely worth it. Do you think? I think so. I mean, yeah. it's, like, our main interface to the computer, so... Yeah, what, what does it plug into? Like, some kind of PS... Two adapter. PS2, yeah, and then I have oh. a dongle going to USB. Oh, that's good. At least it's not a serial port or something, right? No, some of them... Uh, mine's a later model from, like, 93 or so. Mm. So they had PS2, but the earlier ones definitely had that 9-pin DIN connector or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to have, like, a USB-C to PS2 connector. USB 2. I have an older laptop. Oh. Uh, do you think they even make a USB-C to PS2 adapter? You can get a USB 2 to USB C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you're like double dongling. <laughs> and then you'd be Desmond double dongles. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, times. back to Elixir. <laughs> back to it. Um, yeah, All right. so. All right, I got a question for you, Chris, because here on. on Elixir Talk, we ask the hard questions. And so yes. I'm going to put it to you. What is the deal with keyword lists? When, um, when would you use one over a map? Uh, okay. So, <laughs> I feel like it's fairly common practice to use them as the last item in a function whereby you want to pass a set of options where those options are, uh, are, are optional. <laughs> By the fact that options <laughs> <laughs> really smart today, um, yeah. But your is your question: Why should we use them over something else like a like a maybe a map? Exactly. I mean, sure. There's the paradigm of passing optional parameters, super mm-hmm. important. Um, but why a keyword list instead of a map? Hmm. I don't know the answer to, like, why exactly. Yeah. So I think there's some historical context here. Up until very recently, Uh, Erlang had no map data structure. mm -hmm. I think you could use one, but under the hood it was a keyword list. And um, some background on a keyword list. A keyword list is a list of tuples. Yeah. Um, Which is a, a map is effectively a list of tuples as well, right? Uh, are maps unordered in El- in Elixir, or are they ordered? I think they're unordered. Okay. In Ruby, they're ordered as of 2.2, I think. Wait, I'm going to check that, though, because I feel like I get this wrong every single time. I think, I mean, uh, in, in most languages, uh, the key values are unordered, so it wouldn't surprise yeah, me if they are. Yeah, it would make sense, right? What about... But, what about, um, but uh, a keyword list is going to be ordered. Yeah, um, the key value pairs in a map do not follow any order. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Um, um, but yes, you're right. In a keyword list, they will be ordered, right? Yeah. Because and it's a list. And so I think um, just historically, the Erlang community would use keyword lists in lieu of maps because they didn't have maps and they just got used to it. And so they didn't think about it. But now that we do have them... Oh, and so um, early versions of Elixir had maps, but they were implemented in terms of keyword lists. And so then the Erlang folks said, fine here's a native map data structure. Mm-hmm. Elixir switched to using that. We still have the keyword list. Uh, I think at that point, though, it had sort of caught on as the thing to use. But now that we have maps, why do we still use keyword lists? And when is it appropriate to use 
uh, a keyword list over a map. Because if you're accessing into it, I think it's the lookup is constant time. Or no, 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 it's uh, end time for a keyword list because you have to go through the whole list until Isn't you find the key. Oh, right, right. Whereas a map is actually... A map just, is constant. Yeah, constant time. Huh. Uh, oh, yeah, I didn't know this as well. Did you know that a keyword list can have duplicated keys? Um, interesting. I, d I honestly just read that in the docs. I'm like, oh, yeah, I thought I knew that, but that's kind I, of interesting. I think I read that at one point. It was like, why would I ever do that? That would really but that, piss me that, off. That like, totally makes sense if it's just a list of tuples, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that you can have that. But um, the one nice thing is where you can omit the uh, square brackets when it's the last argument in a function. Yes. Right? You, yes, you can. And actually, the formatter will take away brackets. Yes, that's true. But and but that's a nice thing you don't get with maps. That's true. It's a so little cleaner. One nice. It it looks clean when you pass in a set of arguments into a function. So aside from the aesthetics. Aside from the aesthetics, um, I. Oh, hang on. Whoa, this is interesting. Simple list. Blah blah. Um. So this is an interesting point in the docs. So the functions in the keyword module, which is the ones that uh, you would perform on a keyword list, do not guarantee any property when it comes to ordering. Um, mm -hmm. But because, it's, because the keyword is actually just a list, all of the operations in enum can be applied to when you need ordering. So there's not even a benefit around the ordered keys, I guess. Yeah, is there is there something else here? Is there like, what about with defaults? I guess you can do the exact same thing. I was trying to think about other use cases why we why we use them over a map. Yeah, you can map .get and pass in a default if it doesn't find the key. Right, right. Mm. Right, because even like when you're doing like updates in a keyword list or like defaults and things like that, it's actually basically syntactically equivalent to use a map, right? It's like the same same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like get this value from a keyword list, check if it exists. If it doesn't, fall back to a default or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Like, so where did this come from for you? Uh, I was writing, I've mentioned, I think I mentioned on a previous episode, I wrote this macro uh, for some of the validators that we use to check our incoming um, params. And it basically runs stuff through an ecto change set to see if, or to leverage those uh, helpers around what's the type, is this field present, whatever. And mm -hmm. so we have this use vs.validator macro, and then you passed in a list of uh, a list of lists that are some options. So the first element is fields, and then you specify the field name and the type, and then another would be the fields that you want to validate that exist, and then there's a couple other things. And I wrote it so that you call it with uh, a keyword list of options. And one of my colleagues was like, well, why not use a map instead? And I was like, herder, keyword lists, this is how we do things, whatever. Yeah, right. But then if you use the map, you can you can actually pattern match on the map coming into the function as well, right? You can. And another issue we ran into is um, there, suppose we wanted to set some defaults here, have passed some other option in. It's really difficult to do with a syntax of 
you have to have a, um, I guess it would be a one element keyword list. Right now the key is the field name and the value is the type. So mm. if we wanted to add like defaults or um, other constraints like you do with um, when you're defining like Ecto uh, schemas, you're sort of limited in your options for parsing what the, what the developer passes in in a way that you wouldn't be if you were using a map. And you could clearly say, like, well, here's a, here's a default, here's a range, here's a validate exclusion, whatever. Mm -hmm. So then I got to thinking, well, why did I, you know, why did I use this thing in the first place? And it was really just, well, that's how I'm used to seeing it. But you know what's weird, though? Because a, a map can have non-atom keys as well, whereas a keyword list has to have atom keys. Uh-huh. Um, so... I guess you get more guarantees around what the key is going to be in a keyword list. You know that it's always going to match on an atom, whereas if you were passing in a map, someone could have constructed a map with a, a, a binary key instead of a, an atom key. Sure, but presumably if you're letting people pass stuff in, you would have some other sanity checking around. Maybe they passed in the wrong atom. You know, they misspelled the option mm. and it broke. Like, you know, don't don't screw that up. Yeah, I, I'm just clutching at straws trying to think of other reasons. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have anything else, though. So. Yeah, I know I put you on the defensive here at the top. Well, I just feel like there must be a better reason other than, like, that's because functional other languages have this and and Elixir didn't have maps to start, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because what about, oh, what about memory usage? I guess it's probably the same, right? Uh, that's a good question. Is that the sort of optimization that most of us want to think about? No, it's really not. It, the, honestly, I don't know what the uh, what the result is there either. I'm trying to scan blog posts while we do this to see if I can find any other... Um, well, in the meantime, if any of you listeners have uh, good use cases for keyword lists over a map, please let us know. Tweet at us. Find us on the Elixir Slack. Post your use cases so we can talk about it and uncover the mystery of the keyword list. Well, like one of the problems is at this point is that like most functions will take in a keyword list as a list of arguments, right? Like or a list of options at the end. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if that's supported in most common functions and probably like in the standard lib, then if you're implementing it and you're using a map instead of a keyword list, then it's going to be surprising to the users. Mm -hmm. But again, my uh, my use case was that you have a little more flexibility when you're passing in map. Well, that was that one use case. Mm. If you're just passing in like arguments or named arguments or something, named options, then I don't know, man. <laughs> so. Uh, I see someone else who is describing the benefits of a keyword list here. So a keyword list can have duplicate keys, is ordered, allows for some pattern matching, right? I guess you can pattern match certain properties coming in. Um, and they said the performance inserts are very fast because I guess it's just a list, so that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But access is slow versus a map, which is always going to be pretty fast. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Elixir talk, asking the hard questions about 
your data structures. I, I'm honestly annoyed that I don't have a better answer though. <laughs> I'm like really, really, really trying to find some other reason why this is here. I've been sitting on this one for a couple of days and I didn't want to. Yeah, dude, this would have dri- driven me crazy. So I'm glad that you brought this up right now, you know. Um, all right, well, we can't spend all the episode, all the episode letting you do what? research on this. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I, I honestly, I would like to hear from other people so about it. Um, yeah, and like, do you ever actually use a keyword list just in your regular programming instead of a map? Not really. I'm yeah, to think. Like, like I was just thinking, like the only time I've ever used one is about option, like uh, options. Mm-hmm. But that that's it. That's the only time because of the syntactic sugar. Um, I think I did it somewhere because I did destructure it into tuples, I mm. remember. And that's how I found out that under the hood, it's a list of tuples. Right, right, right. But yeah, I could have just as easily done it with a map, whatever yeah. I was doing. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I, I just feel like it's a data structure I don't use elsewhere, whereas a map is like just so convenient all the time, right? Maps are eating so. the world, man. <laughs> I think there's also some like weird Erlang history I heard around when they brought out maps and Et's table was still re- way faster so everyone was still using that instead of using a map. Hmm. Something like that. I can't hmm. remember. Uh, there's some like other interesting history tidbits there. Cool. But there you go. Cool. Well. 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 We didn't <laughs> solve that. I think we did. I think the answer is use maps. I think we need JZ on and we can dig it dig in with him about it. He's probably really fed up with people asking him, but uh <laughs> you know, we should ask. Let's yeah, we're asking the hard questions. Oh hey, I had an interesting one when I was doing some advent of code stuff around uh char lists and uh-huh. strings. Um and I have you used those recently? Uh no, I don't I don't think I've ever used a char list. You haven't? No. Uh it's so I was iterating over like a string and having to do some like comparisons against like other, um, so to see if like there was an upper or a lower one or something like that. And it's just because you get the code point of the the value, you can really easily do like an integer comparison with it, right? Mm. So it makes it, it's quite handy to use. But then I realized that actually like, it's really confusing when you're working with the both of them, when you're working with a string and it's a binary and then you change it into a char list, you know? Mm-hmm. Gets, uh, I don't know. I, I was just like trying to rack my brain around that was actually kind of difficult for a bit until I remembered it, about how it works. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what a char list is? Yeah, so a char list is just a list of character um a char codes of a of a character of a string basically so um it basically if you have the string abc and then you turn that into so that's a, a bit string and if you turn that into a char list you're going to get um the code points for each for a for b and then for c so then you can iterate over each one of those um and use that um that, that code point of of the character to to do some other operations you might want to say like I don't know. Test if it's over this um, position in the in the alphabet or something like that. It's just much easier to do when it's a a code point. And these are UTF-8 code points. That's right. Yes. Yeah. There's a. You know what? There's a really good talk on this 
that I watched when we were oh god it was some time ago I think it was um, I can't remember who did it but we will link to it in the show notes because if you haven't yet encountered this in Elixir it's one of those really interesting uh, interesting like edges that you might bump your head against and then be like why does this work like this um, mm-hmm. but it's actually really useful at times so, yeah. I remember talking to um, Brian Weber who spoke at uh, the very first MPEX and um, his at his company they do a lot of like I think they're, it's some sort of telecoms company. <laughs> it's been a while since we had this conversation. But he parses data over the wire, or they have like a custom um, custom data format that comes down. And so he inspects individual packets and does pattern matching on it. And he was saying that being able to look at the individual characters and match on that is really easy to do in Elixir. And that's because of Erlang's heritage as a telecoms language. But he said, you know, for that... For that problem in that space, like the tools are very powerful. Mm. Yeah, I'd imagine like in that case, I'd probably use like a binary pattern match in a function head, right? If you if you have a protocol where you know what the incoming uh, format is going to be, and you can always match, and it's a fixed amount of characters at different positions in the protocol, um, it's fairly easy to do it. Like there's some really good examples of parsing things like PNGs um, just using binary pattern matching. Yeah, pulling off the first 16 bytes or whatever. Exactly, and being like, oh, does this is this this command or is it something else, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that's actually really neat, and I forgot about how to do it until I had to kind of... Uh, I had to figure it out the other day, and I was like, <laughs> I can do this in a regex, or, oh, I can actually <laughs> use a binary pattern match, and it, it will be fun to do it like that. So, um, but yeah. you know... Sometimes regexes are probably easier, but I just, I'm terrible at writing them, honestly. Like, never, ever got good at writing regexes, so, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things that, like, you have to do not often enough that you never really, I mean, you have kind of the basics down, and then when you have to write one, you got to pull out the book and remember how they work. Which yes. I think is why they say don't write them because then we have to read it later. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> just like, do the same what thing. the hell? Have you have you met those like kind of savanti people that can just like read a regex and be like, oh yeah, no, that won't match because of this. Yeah, and I worked like, with a guy uh, a couple years ago, and he just like had read regexes down, and I was like, how'd you learn this? And he said, you know, one weekend I just huddled up with the book and I figured this shit out, and now he's good at regexes. I. I don't even know if I want to make that investment. <laughs> Is that bad? <laughs> I feel like I'm just going to like bumble through my career being like, yeah, regex is, yeah, and then ask someone else, you know. <laughs> I think that's okay. Yeah, I'd rather write a complicated series of like, parse this string and replace this and do it in several steps than to try to extract one thing out of... Um, I d- I did end up using regex named capture the other day, which is a thing I didn't know about. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, do you want to know a TIL that I, I learned today? Yeah. This is so dumb. I didn't realize that um, there's a difference between um, and, as in the word and, and um, the Boolean and, so ampersand, ampersand. Did you know that? Uh, what do you mean a difference? I mean, I know there's a difference in Ruby which uh-huh. I would use sometimes to avoid or to, you know, to play with the different binding precedents. So the um, the word and is short circuiting. So if the thing on the left uh, isn't truthy, I guess, in an and case, it will, it will stop. Hmm. It will never evaluate the thing on the right. 
Cool. Um, but um, and um, the word and will only work on booleans and return a boolean result. As opposed to like a, a truthy thing like a string? Exactly. Isn't that interesting? Um, yeah. <laughs> so basically the TLDR is you should use and, the word and, when you are probably in a guard or something like that, and which I realize is the only times I've ever done that. Yeah, I guess sort of by convention, when I'm writing a guard, I won't use the ampersand ampersand. Yeah. And write the word out. Yeah. It's weird, right? Um, it is weird. Go. I mean, yeah, like, I, I think I would do that in uh, Ruby. I don't remember if andand is short-circuiting or not, but I would I remember paying more attention to that because I think on the second side, I would there would be a more complicated... I would put the more complicated expression or the more expensive computation. Mm-hmm. Um, I never think about that in Elixir. I don't know. I don't really write like and comparisons. It's usually like a nested case statement or a with statement. Mm. Or you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I guess it's like sometimes I've done it, but yeah, you're right. I like tend to go for a, a function head match or something, you know? Yeah, I actually, I, I've um, sort of, I've driven my team to like never write conditionals, ifs, yeah. and any of that stuff. Like just use a case statement. I'll yep. match a case statement on true or false. Yeah, I do that all the time, and then I realize, like, this is just me being really resistant to using an if. But I like it because then everything is a case statement, and I think yep. it's it's fewer, it's a smaller grammar for your brain to think about. Do you ever use cons? No. Um, very, very rarely. I honestly don't think I have a case where I've, like, said, oh, I'm going to use a con in a very, very long time. Probably in the four years I've been doing Elixir, I've written three cons. Yeah, I, I honestly can't think of any time where I've ever really used it. Because I just feel like case is more expressive most of the time, right? Like, yeah, but there's one case... I know case... they serve slightly different purposes, but... Yeah, yeah, there's like... I can't think of right now, but there's one so case the cons, where you kind of have if to if it evaluates to true, it's going to execute, right? It's going to match. Yeah, but it's sort and of the... You... It's the semantics of like I have a thing and I want to look at that thing, but I mean you can have guard clauses in your case statement. So I guess I guess the case where you would maybe want to use it is if you have a result you're doing, oh, but then I would probably just use a case. I was thinking like oh would you pipe a result of something, but you can't do that either. I don't know. I don't know a good time where I'd actually use it. All right. So the moral is don't use keyword lists and don't write con statements. Whoa, controversial. No, there's there's uh, there's some there's some way of framing a problem where you kind of have to use a cond, and it comes when up very When you want to match rarely. against different values. Yes, but wait. Um, no, you can match against. Oh, different sorry. Values no, 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 no. That's case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you want to match. You want to check against different conditions and find the first one that evaluates to true. But that happens in a case statement. Well, no, because a case you get a single value. Oh, I see what you mean, because then you just have d- different match clauses. Right? Yeah, and it yeah. executes the first one. I guess sometimes a cons might be easier to think about multiple branches. I don't know. That's, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> I, I feel like cond is like an Erlangy thing that, you know, came mm. down. Um, yeah. 
Oh, and one more TIL that was a few weeks ago for me as well, which this uh-huh. is like honestly unbelievable that I got this far with Elixir. So I guess four years, and maybe I've encountered this, I just forgot. I didn't know there was a function called match that returned true or false. Wait, what? Did you know that? N- no. This is a kernel function? Uh, I th- it's a macro. Yeah, it's a it's in kernel. It's a it's it's a macro on on kernel. Okay, so what do you do with it? It's a convenience macro that checks if the right side matches the left side. <laughs> so if an expression matches a pattern, so you can use it like, in, you know, sometimes like you end up writing. Um, let, let's say you do a map where in that map you wanna you end up with a, a function with a, a couple of different clauses or something like that. Okay. You can potentially use the, the match if you don't care about the um, the other clauses. You, you basically like can use it all over the place to just say like this if this thing matches, you know, like maybe in a find or something if you want to check against a, um, if the returning result of is it, is it a find? Yeah, where the return value is true, then you then you return that value. So a match might be really handy there, instead of like writing a function and saying explicitly return true. If this thing matches, if you see what I mean. Um, why not just use like the double equals? Yeah, right, right, right. But that's the point. You can ex- you can um, you kind of represent that a bit more. You can represent that in basically in a pattern match with a match with this match macro rather than using the double equals or checking if it's truthy or whatever else you're doing. Okay. Yeah. I was not aware of that. Yeah, yeah. This is like, this is a thing. Yeah, like, okay, here we go. Match is very useful when filtering or finding a value in an enumerable, right? Because you do enum.filter, whatever the list is, then you pass it the match function as a capture, mm-hmm. um, and then you say some value on the left and then on the right-hand side, you're going to give it the, um, the the item that you're enumerating over. Hmm. <laughs> but if I have like a list of, suppose I have a list of users and I want to find the one with an email address that's email at example.com. Yeah, then in the, in the match, you would just put, this is actually like a really good use case, right? Enum.find users and then the match would be the email address, and then the um, the second um, argument to match would be like and one dot email, right? Let's say it was like a um, mm-hmm. a, a struct of users, that, a list of structs of users where there was a key called email on that user. That would work. But why not just use like and one dot email equals equals double? E- well, because it's just like slightly shorter. I don't it's think a, it is, man. Two equal signs is just like two equal signs. Well, it's it's not just two equal signs. You don't have to express the. I guess you can do that in shorthand as well using the like and one dot email double equals. Yeah, because you yeah, have to sure. give that to match anyway. Yeah, yeah, you have to give the email to match short, but it's uh, it I, it is slightly shorter, definitely. You can also pass a guard to the match as well. That does not sound shorter. I I don't know. I think this is a it's an interesting macro. Okay. Yeah. There okay. you go. We shall link to that in the show notes as well. Cool. Well, that's. Yeah. I'm glad we found something that we can 
Well, I don't know that I agree that sounds super useful, but I'll check that out, and we'll figure it out later. It's a nice departure from our... Huh. Why is that there? Yes. Theme of the episode. There you go. And uh, I guess on that note, we should should wrap. Sounds good. Well, this has been another uh, exciting episode of Elixir Talk. My name is Desmond Bowie, and my British friend is named Chris Bell. If you have any feedback about this episode or anything else that we've done to date, uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, which is twitter.com slash elixirtalk, github, github.com slash elixirtalk slash elixirtalk, open up an issue there, or you can probably email us or some other means you can find us on the internet. Uh, Desmond is Desmond Monster, and I am CJ Bell, most places, sometimes with an underscore. Um... And yeah, we really appreciate you listening. As always, please hit that rate button and please give us a like on wherever you get this podcast. Assuming you like us. Oh yeah, that, I guess that's a given, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate you guys listening. So thank you so much, as always. And uh, keep, keep elixiring. elixiring. That was a good one. <laughs>